It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in sex therapy? How about what women ask behind that closed door? You are about to find out. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am ecstatic to have Dr. Brandy Engler here in the studio with me today. Dr. Engler is a psychologist here in L.A. who specializes in sex and relationships. Her wonderful book, The Women on My Couch, is a collection of stories about the sexual choices and challenges women face, covering provocative topics, including how to deal with a husband's request for a threesome, post-wedding disappointments, kinky fantasies, the temptation to cheat, and so much more. I am so thrilled to have you here. Dr. Engler, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Your book is wonderful. Thank you. It's very interesting to me, the story of the book. When you In the introduction, you talk about your career path. Yes. And you started out thinking you were going to work with lots of women and ended up attracting more men at first. Could you talk a bit about that and why the language made a difference? Yes, absolutely. So all the way back in grad school, I decided to write my dissertation on the most common problem sexually for couples, which is low libido, specifically for women. So I wrote my dissertation on the topic and graduated thinking, I'm going to be a feminist sex therapist. I'm going to help women. I'm going to open my private practice. And I did just that in Times Square in New York City. I hung my shingle and then only men called. Wow. And so the first book that I wrote, The Men on My Couch, is the story of my personal journey as a therapist in that very first year, encountering the men from this perspective of wanting to be a, a sex therapist for women and then dealing with men who are cheating or have, you know, sort of other kinds of outrageous stories, sex addiction, et cetera, and having to come to a place of understanding and compassion for them. Wow, so interesting. And I read that you changed the, the name from, or that your logo, basically your byline from, you know, sex therapist to sex and relationship. And I'm curious how much you think society plays a role in that in, as far as women's comfort with the S word. Right. So I finally attracted women to my practice when I moved to Los Angeles. And I all I did was change one word in my advertising from sex therapist to relationship and sex. And women started coming in. And so it's hard for me to tell, you know, why the women who didn't come in initially didn't come in because I never saw them. But what I do see is that women who are coming in, um, they're in relationships where their sex is sexuality is causing a problem in some way, like low libido, something like that. And so it's the relationship that's their motivation, not necessarily an intrinsic motivation like something is off about my sexuality. Let me talk to somebody about it. I actually rarely see that. That is really interesting and sad in some ways because I feel like as women, we we are kind of taught to not think about our sexuality unless it is in the context of, you know, a relationship with a man. Right. And that's important if we are in a relationship with a man, but, right. you know, the self-love and the self-exploration uh, comes first. A question I love asking uh, anyone who comes in is, what did you learn about sexuality growing up? 
Good question. Not much. Uh, certainly nothing in school. Um, I did grow up in a religious family, but I wasn't given a ton of messaging in my home. It was sort of just not talked about. Uh, so it was just this big blank screen. And so for me, I think I was probably more influenced by Hollywood movies or like songs. So I had I had this very romantic sort of orientation towards sex from from my teenage years on. Wow. And what inspired you to pursue this career? Um, honestly, I um, I wanted to help women um, begin to find their voice sexually um, because in some ways, you know, we're, like you said, we're sort of relating to men and understanding what they're looking for. And then we internalize these ideas about our sexuality that are based on male scripts or male expectations. And we learn to be very sexy, but we don't actually have a relationship personally with our own sexuality. And so my goal, especially with the women on my couch, is sort of giving women a process for learning how to turn inward so that they can develop their own internal motivation. I love that. That is so important. I wish every woman could have that kind of encouragement. It's so important. What are some of the common themes? You bring up many in your book, uh, but what are some that stand out to you as far as kind of the issues and questions besides the, the libido issues sure. you mentioned? Sure. So um, what I did in the book was just talk about the most common things that come in. And so these days, you know, with we're sexually liberated, um, we have a lot of freedom. And so a lot of things are presented to us. A lot of sort of proposals are presented to us. And we can explore our sexuality in any number of directions. So as a result, all women get sort of faced with all kinds of kinky proposals, like a male partner might have some kind of fetish that she may or may not want to participate in. Um, there's a lot of people who are experimenting with um, um, unconventional relationships, so threesomes, open relationships, you know, having a, a couple as, like, your partner instead of, you know, a boyfriend or a husband. Um, so a lot of things like that. Polyamory, I'm seeing that. Um, we haven't actually talked about polyamory on the show yet. So for anyone who's new to it, what is it? So polyamory is the idea that you can love more than one person. And so there's a fluidity with your both with your sexuality and with your emotions. And some people choose to have a primary partner that they're committed to and then have other partners on the side. And some people don't have a primary partner and they just allow each relationship to seek its own level. Okay. Very, very good description. So say a woman comes into you and is either interested in this lifestyle herself or her her partner or husband mate has brought it to her. Uh, do you find that women embrace those unconventional fantasies or ideas or how do they tend to present them as far as emotionally? Right. So because I'm a therapist, I am seeing people who've encountered problems with it. Sure. Um, so what I am seeing is Women who initially are very curious and want to check it out um, have some level of fun with it. It's, uh, you know, gratifying to have people want you and to sure. have, you know, different partners and to try things out. But perhaps over time it beginning to cause problems emotionally. Um, you know, one, one client told me recently that there's this idea of polyamory that you can love as many people that you want, but she felt like she wasn't ever loving anybody um, mm -hmm. or that anyone was necessarily loving her, that in fact people were kind of using it to keep to keep from loving, in fact, to, to keep it like love at a, a little wow. bit of a distance. That's so interesting. So it's like any anything within our intimate lives can be, most anything, can be used in a really positive way or not, and everyone's so different. So I guess you don't know till you try. Right. So there's no easy answers about what's healthy and what's harmful or what's right or what's wrong. It's really a, 
you know, a personal process for each person. Sure, which makes me think, of course, of uh, Shades of Grey popularity. Uh, I did a show about that with a kink expert who's a sex educator, and she came in, and she's a wonderful resource, and we talked about the movie, and I haven't read the whole book, um, but it's interesting to me how controversial people were just, I mean, burning the book, just so upset that, you know, that that was, that BDSM was basically in the film. And also, I think there's this confusion about, uh, you know, the, the line between abuse versus kink and all that stuff. Do do women struggle with figuring that line out? Have you have you talked to women who are kind of trying to figure out what's yes. kinky and what's what's dangerous? Yes. In fact, that's a really big deal because there's some messaging out there to try and be down for anything. And so the problem with that message is that women aren't then taught to sort of discern, like, where is this coming from? What's this about? In some ways, the movie addresses that really well. The book I couldn't get through either. The movie I thought was a blast. Um, but the question of, you know, like, how much of this is innocent play and how much of this is, like, some, like, his, perhaps, in this, this situation, his sort of psychological material, his history with trauma, his, like, anger at women, that he's, like, actually acting those feelings out in a way where there may be some intentional harm mixed in with the, the love and affection he feels for her. And so that's complicated, and she had an ambivalent sort of reaction to it, which I think is probably... You know, it's just interesting. It is. It is. Yeah. I really thought the movie was really fun, too. To me, it was a... Obviously, it's not... I don't see it as a romance. I see it as, you know, this this guy obviously has some very severe emotional issues. Right. It was a thriller to me. Right, It was right. a Lifetime movie, but, you right. know. <laughs> right. So I'm watching that, and I have worked with men who are like that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so sitting listening to men when they're describing sadistic fantasies, hostility toward women, I'm very aware that some of this stuff isn't just harmless play. Um, and it can have psychological effects on the woman if she's not ch checking in with herself. Like... Just listen to your intuition is my advice to my clients. You can tell if something feels off or kind of icky about it, like it's his like stuff that you're getting pulled into and he really does want to harm or humiliate you. But it's not always the case. Sometimes pe people are just seeking erotic titillation. Sure. And that's a different story. Sure. Interesting. Uh, you talk a lot, actually, of a, a quote that I love from your book uh, about conscious sexuality. You wrote that sex is a great tool for personal growth and a window into the self. The unconscious mind speaks and the body betrays our truth. Sex shows us the edges of our ability to be intimate, to speak up, and to have a sturdy sense of self. I want that, like, printed out on a wall. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's you. really beautiful. What is conscious sexuality? Conscious sexuality is being aware of what am I here for? What am I expressing? What does this act mean to me right now? Um, what are my motivations? And it's good to be clear on that because as I explore sexuality people, you can see so much is going on emotionally and psychologically. So um, um, issues around how close you're willing to get to another person, so intimacy, anxiety can show up. Issues around control, are you in general a person who allows themselves to surrender to feeling? Issues around trust, um, do you trust this man who's with you? Can you trust men in general? Um, issues around your own lovability. Do I allow myself to receive pleasure to let him sort of do the work and I f have a right to that? Um, power struggles are often happening. So um, a lot of things are there that you may or may not be aware of. Sometimes if you have trauma in your background and just other sort of relational experiences that make up your history are often showing up in sex. And they're 
you know, that stuff, that emotional material has the ability to shut down your sexuality. It shapes what turns you on. It shapes what turns you off. And if you're more consciously aware of what all of that is, then you have more control over it and you have more room to open up your range of what works for you in terms of what turns you on. And the less aware you are of yourself, the more narrow your range of sexuality often becomes and the more your sexuality can get shut down. So it's good Mm -hmm. to just sort of be aware of what what's going on with me, what's motivating me. So how do you figure that out? How do you know if you are being conscientious? So there's certain questions, you know, that people can ask some of the simple questions that I just said, but also teaching women to tune into their bodies. So for example, you know, if her boyfriend, if someone's boyfriend or partner sort of touches you and then you notice sort of involuntarily your body turns to stone, as I talked about in the opening chapter, that this woman, she was in love with her boyfriend, and then every time he went to touch her, her entire body would turn to stone. She'd feel suddenly irritated out of nowhere. Um, that you're, And I teach women to, to listen to that. Your body's speaking to you. Don't just try and push yourself to go through the motions. Don't do duty sex. I don't believe in that. But just instead, it's, it's an alarm that you should check in with yourself on, okay, why am I having this reaction? Because sometimes your body knows before you, you know it consciously. That is such a good point. And I love the whole idea of really listening. Have you read um, The Gift of Fear? Are you familiar with that book? Mm-hmm. It's by Gavin DeBecker. It's not an intimacy book, but it does bring up, it's about, he works with the CIA and he talks about personal security and safety and uh, does a lot for like um, self-defense, you know, learning how to, to know if something's problematic or not. And the biggest takeaway is to trust that fear and, you know, to trust those instincts that it's there for a reason. And it's so right. interesting how as humans, we talk ourselves out of them so often. And I think especially in relationships, like I know I've been in relationships where I meet a guy and I'm scared of him, but I also end up dating him. And that sounds very strange to say, but you get that because you're a professional and I now get it because looking back, I realize it's so mixed up. And because of that movie ideal that we're sometimes taught, it's like the charmer, the big personality, the the love bombing, all that stuff. Right, right. Um, And we did a series here that was pretty popular on dating a sociopath. And I was really amazed at how many women reached out to tell me that they had. Um, Do you find that, uh, do women go to sex therapists talking about, do you find out that maybe they're with somebody who doesn't feel empathy? Uh, yes. But even more than that, are men who are coming into my office telling me I don't feel empathy. I don't feel much at all. Really? Um, yes. And it's like men are, people in general, I think, are developing an awareness about sort of what love is in a way and realizing uh, that they're not, sometimes you're just not feeling passion or excitement about anything in general. And then you realize you don't feel much empathy. And so some of this is like, common everyday narcissism more than it is necessarily being like a sociopath. So like the whole spectrum, because narcissism isn't, is more common or not, more mild, I guess, right? They're actually, they are actually considered to be on a spectrum in psychology. Okay. They're, they're, uh, they're considered to be related in some way. Yeah. Um, so narcissism is a little more common, but what it does, it makes us unable to really see other people very well and consider their needs. So often it's like more ignorance and blindness than it is sort of you know, intentional, like, malignance or something. I see. And is yeah. that something, first of all, I think that's way cool that a guy will come in and say, I don't think I'm feeling, or I don't think that I'm loving right, or whatever. That is huge. Yes. And I think if anyone's listening, and male or female is struggling with that, that is so great to know that you can get help, talk to somebody, and that there shouldn't be shame around it. That's that's huge. Did you, uh, are you able to help people who are struggling with that? Like, 
is that something that they should have hope for? It's a challenge because empathy in particular is a skill. So you can learn the skills and you can act it out, but you may not actually have any feeling behind it. And that takes a little bit longer to learn how to connect to your feelings and the feelings of other people. But it, it's this sort of process. If someone intentionally wants to set their mind to like deepening their experience, it's, it's possible. It just takes a little bit of time. I love hearing that. That is really, really inspiring. I think that your whole message is, it sounds like, in the book, you talk a lot about these freedoms that we have and how beautiful that is and also how, whoa, this could be terrifying. Or And I feel like so many women, I know I had these sexual awakenings where you just all of a sudden realize, for whatever reason, I'm not in touch with my sexuality or I have shame around it or I want to move to this next level. Um, what is a, a step that people can take if they want to you know, deepen that relationship to their sense of self and their own sexuality, not related at all to their partner, even if it's to benefit them? Like, do you recommend self-stimulating, talking to a therapist, introspection? Is it just kind of different for everyone? Uh, maybe a little bit of all of that. In the book, I try to detail some of the ways I explored outside of psychology, like what's going to enrich me sexually. And so I started looking to ancient cultures to see, like, where did sexuality ever flourish for women in particular? And what can we as modern women learn from that? As so I looked at Taoism from 2000 years ago in China, it's like sex is very medicinal and the loving aspect of sex is also very important and masturbation and oral sex and all of that was important. And it was also sort of like cast in a light of like all of it is like beautiful and natural and medicinal rather than like it didn't have the kind of power dynamics that it kind of does sometimes today. Um, so that was very beautiful and Tantra and its spirituality was very beautiful, teaching people to sort, sort of turn inward. Um, I looked at courtesans in France. Um, I looked at the Minoans. So there, there's, there's a lot out there to be inspired by. And so for me personally, I don't sort of follow any one particular tradition. I kind of just take what works for me. But the bottom line is, like, it got me turning toward myself for for my sexuality. Like, you know, some of the Taoist meditations really resonated with me because I learned that you can begin to conjure sexual energy from inside, that it's right there all the time, and that you can just tap in and really feel it alive in your body through without even touching yourself through a simple meditation. And I think that's really powerful because... There is a narrative going around today and largely fed by the evolutionary theorists that like women are just naturally less sexual than men. And they're getting that information from research data that just asks women a very simple question, which is, you know, do you feel sexual or not? Like how often do you report feeling it? And so they're getting a lot of no's. But what they're not sort of getting to is that um, women actually are very sexual, but we're sometimes not aware of it for various reasons. So one big one is that Whenever we're self-conscious, we're going to be less less access to our own lust and to our own sexual energy because that's more of an anxious state. It's a more self-observing, anxious state, so you're not kind of in your body. So the more that we see um, objectified images of ourselves sexually all around us, the more we um, internalize that and become self-conscious, and then the less sexual, right? And so the takeaway message is the more images you see that are hypersexualized, the less sexual you become. Mm, right that's so huge. yeah because it, it just it gets you observing yourself and out of your body um and so that's not being taken into account in all of that research 
that's one of the reasons actually I like the Outlander series or Magic Mike or any of any cultural thing that kind of comes along that women get super excited about because it shows that like when you actually tap into what works for us, women go crazy. Women, you know, buy movie Why do you tickets. Think they're and, reading Shades of yeah, Grey. Yeah, you know, it's like, and women are also so much less likely to talk about sex. So it's like I, I read uh, some studies that showed that men will round their sexual history up in a questionnaire because they're told like you have to be very sexual to be a man, which is also a damaging kind right. of pressure, um, and that women round it down, and that you know women have more than like five or ten partners right. called sluts, which is like I hate the word. You know, it's so right. that's I'm so refreshed to hear you uh, say that, and so eloquently. It's very interesting that you know it's I don't know why they want to be so black and white like that. You know, it's like our sexuality starts at birth, and we're full of it. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So there's a lot of shame that like that women have to overcome. Men get to develop more of a sense of entitlement around being sexual. So they feel okay with being sexual. They have their own pressures around performance sexually that, that's really harmful to them that's that right. they have to overcome. Mm-hmm. They also learn from an early age that you should separate sex and love. And so they're getting that message early on, and they're usually, here's what I watch, they're usually okay with that in their 20s, separating sex and love. It's fine. It works for them. They're having a great time. But once they settle down later, they're coming to me in their 30s and 40s. They're in serious relationships. And now that internal separation is causing sexual dysfunction, uh, low libido for men, and all kinds of other problems. And so they're having to learn how to reintegrate sex and love and and they they're coming and asking for that that's not my agenda that i'm pushing on them which wow. i think is interesting that is interesting does porn play a big role in that too we've talked about like porn addiction or porn use causing or seemingly causing dysfunction in men even like in their 20s if they're watching a lot of it the imagery you talked about how is that imagery do you think affecting it men? definitely reinforces the disconnect between sort of their heart and their penis sure yeah and so that shows up when they get into the bedroom with somebody that they love you know, and so they're all also coming in a lot, reporting sort of different problems that porn is causing yeah. in their own sexuality. They feel it and they know it. Wow. You know, not just addiction, but just sort of like, you know, difficulty finding their partner as attractive, difficulty getting stimulated, all kinds of things. Sure. And if that is the case, whether it's the man or the woman who's feeling less connected to the relationship, what is one thing they can do? Um, so I think slowly going through a practice where they're learning to actually slow down and not um, go through the same motions that they're seeing on porn or wherever else that's showing this very modern westernized image of sexuality that's very aggressive and fast um, to actually sort of slow down and look into each other's eyes a little bit and just connect. People can usually tolerate a little bit of that at a time, to be honest, Um, because when I'm asking couples what is actually happening in the bedroom, the most common thing I hear is that both people are closing their eyes. They're not talking to each other. Both people are off in some kind of fantasy. Um, One guy described it to me as my wife closes her eyes and I'm like, okay, see you later when it's done. Um, that's sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's quite a bit of dissociation, quite a bit of numbing, actually, of pleasure going on for people. And so what that all sort of amounts to is not enough contact or a lack of contact between the two people. Um, So as a therapist, first I'm seeing you have to connect to yourself and your body and then be able to connect to this person at the same time. And being able to have an orgasm in that state is actually a challenge, like staying present with him, staying in your body. There's sometimes anxiety and shame makes us want to jump out, which is dissociation is the clinical word for that. But that's happening on a pretty large scale. And that comes back to both our 
um, psychology, but largely our cultural conditioning that doesn't, you know, complicates ourselves, our sense of self sexually. Wow. Interesting. That is so fascinating and so vulnerable that, because, you know, the whole, our eyes are the windows to, to the soul, which I think comes from ancient times. Uh, it is a very vulnerable space yes. to share that. That's, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so sex is, sex can be, and some, I think some of the best sex is vulnerable. Like vulnerability is present. Like you feel your own longing, you feel your own desire, and you take that risk of being vulnerable and sharing it with the other person. When I ask people about their best sexual experiences ever, that is always some kind of component of it. Um, but what's interesting is we're often fighting against that because we often equate that with weakness. Like, oh, if this other person sees that all this vulnerability and longing I have, they're going to have some kind of power over me and I don't want them to have it. A lot of us think that it's more powerful to be the one who's desired, right? And then we just kind of stay in that place of I'm sexy, I'm being desired by you. And there's an ego gratification to that. Yes, it's like fun, right? Sure. But it's not totally sustainable if you want to like be a sexual person in a relationship. Interesting. That is that is very thought provoking, and I bet a lot of people will relate to that. Um, I'm going to quickly play uh, a short little video here. Uh, I often take questions from listeners and and readers. My show started as a blog series, and I got this wonderful question from Susie, who said. I used to love wearing high heels, but can't wear them since pregnancy. And honestly, I feel very frumpy in flats. I know it's a mindset thing, but I'd love to hear any suggestions for feeling sexy no matter what we wear. Any simple steps, no pun intended, I can take from Susie. Uh, Susie shared this after I actually started. I don't know if you heard about the Cannes Film Festival turned away some women for wearing flats. Oh. And I was really upset by that. You know, not because I was I wore heels for, for years and years. And still was wearing them um, when that uh, happened in May uh, for, you know, upscale events and stuff like that. But it angered me. First, it angered me. And then I felt like I can't believe that they did that. Like, that would have taken courage for me to show up to cans and flats. So then I challenged myself to a year without. So I have this heel-free campaign, which isn't shunning heels or women. It's uh, who wear them. It's more a, a personal thing for me that I'm sharing. So she sent this in after one of my blog posts. And I asked uh, Kate Scalisi, who is our current uh, sexpert at Girl Boner. And here's what she had to say. Hey, Susie. So I totally feel you on this as someone who also cannot wear heels. And it's taken me a little while to really kind of get used to not wearing heels and still feel sexy. So you really hit the nail on the head when you said that, yes, it is a mindset thing, right? It all starts up here with how you look at your body. And for me, I really had to sit with uh, my ideas about what sexy means and deconstruct what I thought it meant. So do I think it's sexy because it makes me feel sexy or because society tells me that heels are sexy and therefore I feel sexy? So my first bit of advice would be to kind of think about why heels made you feel sexy and what else can make you feel sexy. So for me, I invested in a brand new bathing suit that I'm currently wearing, I know you can't see much of it right now, that fit me really well. And I turned to a friend who is a bra fitter and lingerie specialist to find something that would fit for my body as it is now that I feel amazing in. So what makes you feel sexy? Maybe make a list, go on Pinterest and look around and figure out like, oh, that looks great, that looks great. And that leads me to also finding clothes and shoes that really work for you. Now, I know that it's hard 
to find flaps that feel cute and fun and sexy and maybe are supportive as well since you are pregnant and you might need a little extra support. But with some time and patience, um, I promise they're out there because I have found some and you can feel sexy no matter what you are wearing. But for me, I also had to look at what clothes, how are they fitting? Did I feel frumpy just because of my shoes or do I feel frumpy because my whole outfit doesn't fit me in a way that makes me feel amazing? So the high heels were a way to kind of counter that and fit into this idea of what sexy is. So now I really only keep and buy clothes that when I put them on, I think make me happy and they make me feel good about myself and they fit well. Sometimes that means getting things tailored and sometimes that means stuff fits right off the rack. Mostly it's a lot of tailoring though. The last thing I want to say is why feeling sexy is so important to you. So I want you to take some time and maybe journal about this for a day or two or longer even and figure out like what is it about sexy that makes you feel so good and so excited and feel really good. Is it really sexy or is it powerful? What's underneath that feeling of sexy and where else can you manifest that in your life? Maybe it's your clothes. Maybe it's going on a fun new adventure or going to a workshop or pole dance class. I love the sensual movement, the sensual body work. They're fantastic outlets. Um, so some ideas of this are Nadia Munla does a pleasure playground that's fantastic and amazing. There's also Sheila Kelly S Factor that is in a bunch of different cities. And then pole studios and the like um, are really all out. So where can you kind of harvest that sexy feeling and manifest that sexy feeling in other areas of your life? Because at the end of the day, sexy is a mindset and it is an attitude that kind of emanates from inside. So you don't need any clothes or any shoes to tell you that you're sexy or make you feel sexy. But I totally get that they certainly help and finding the right outfits plus the right activities can be the winning combination to feeling sexy. Thank you, Kate. Isn't she fabulous? Yeah. She is still offering this wonderful package for everybody, which includes one-on-one -on -one coaching and more uh, to have the best sex of your life. So it's only uh, $98. And if you mention Girl Boner for uh, when you're purchasing it, you actually get a whole hour free of coaching that you can use with any time within the year. To learn more, go to passionbykate.com. That's passionbykate.com. And we are going to learn a whole bunch more about high heel risks and my take, which is very similar to Kate's. Uh, if you haven't been following along on my blog, I will talk more about my experience, how it's been going, and what I've learned these last few months. I'm really excited about that. Uh, so before we let our wonderful guests go, how can we learn more about you? Um, you can go to uh, my website, which is um, brandyengler.vpweb.com, or you can go to thewomenonmycouch.com or themenonmycouch.com. And on Twitter, I'm at themenonmycouch. Perfect. And your book is available on Amazon, other sellers, just kind of everywhere? Yes, it's available everywhere. Awesome. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. This has been thank such you. a pleasure. Uh, for more Girl Boner Fun, make sure to visit my website, www.augustmclaughlin.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe to my blog for more fun every single week. Uh, if you're enjoying Girl Boner, we really appreciate those simple reviews on iTunes as well. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you will not miss a beat. To support all things Girl Boner and get some awesome intimacy stuff, shop at Good Vibrations by clicking the little ad in my sidebar on both of my websites. 
Thank you so much for joining me and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.